This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original series. I'm Norman Lau, and we have the team back today. And that's fantastic because we have a fantastic subject that we're going to cover for you. It has a little bit to do with time travel. And since Mr. Atos is here, I think we have a shot at probably getting the time travel right. But you will be the judge. And now I have to introduce the chief as well because we have Mr. Atos. We have the chief, and we're all in the house. How are you guys doing tonight? Hey, we're ready to go. I got the view screen on, and we've got all our signals ready to go to pull in this stuff. So, as we say, take us out. As long as we can keep uh, Schmidlap as far away from the Atavicron as possible with no Romulan ale anywhere in his reach. I don't know. We have a couple of Schmedlap gremlins that are running around the hull right now, so... Who Commodore. knows if we'll make it out of the uh, Atavicon alive here. Yeah, well, if the Commodore's going to keep putting that Romulan ale in his quarters, that's the problem. That is the problem. I think I'm going to have to replace that with Sarian Brandy. There you go. But uh, well, I'm not sure. As long as it's... <laughs> the lesser of two as evils. As long as it's not like uh, the Klingons in the new uh, Manifest Destiny comic. Uh, they uh, decided to do a boarding action by landing on the hole in their spacesuits and cutting through. You know, we'll, we'll be okay. Well, that's what Klingons yeah. do, right? Cutting through with their batlets, man. It was awesome. That is crazy pants. That is crazy Klingon crazy pants. Okay, so tonight we have a huge time travel episode because we're not really technically going back in time, but we are going back nostalgically to 1979. And we're going from 1979 to 1989 because what we're going to be doing, we're going to cover the first five Motion picture trailers. When I say motion picture, I meant movie trailers because the motion picture technically is what we call TMP, but it wasn't technically that really in 1979. So we're going to do Star Trek, the motion picture, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, and Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Oh, you and this is part said, one. should have said Star Trek mm-hmm. VI just to screw with them a little bit. Just kidding. I know. Because I could see the, the time. I could see right like, away where you were going. I know. No, the time frame is wrong. How dare you say 1980? <laughs> you know, like, heads would explode. <laughs> so we're going to go back and actually visit these trailers. Now, we have seen these at various points in time in our lives. And I know all of you out there listening have as well. And we're going to play a trailer. And then we're going to comment on it. How we felt what we felt at the time, if we can actually remember it, and then how we feel about it now. So let's start with 
Actually, I should do drum roll, please, right? Sure, because I can do that. Okay. <laughs> so let's start the very first trailer here with 1979's Star Trek The Motion Picture. So drum roll, please. Now, when I first saw this trailer, I honestly pretty much think I saw it in video form, like on a VHS or like coupled with probably Star Trek 3, 4, or 5, somewhere along that lines on a Paramount Home Video, because I don't remember it at all when I saw it in a theater. That's 1979. I was seven years old. So even if I did see it, I don't remember much of it. But let's take a look at it and see if it spurs some memories. William Shatner, take us out, is Captain James T. Kirk. Leonard Nimoy is Mr. Spock. DeForest Kelly is Dr. Leonard Bones McCoy. James Doohan is Lieutenant Commander Montgomery Scott. George Takei is Lieutenant Commander Sulu. Major Barrett is Dr. Christine Chapel. Walter Koenig is Lieutenant Pavel Chekhov. Michelle Nichols is Lieutenant Commander Uhura. Stephen Collins is Commander Willard Decker. Persis Kambata is Lieutenant Ilya. production of a Robert Wise film. So that was pretty neat. Um, hmm. Don't really remember a lot of the motion picture trailer. I do remember that it did feel kind of sterile like that. I do remember that the uniforms were wrong, you know, wrong in, in you know, in my estimation, because the last time I saw a uniform from the original series, it was Technicolor. You know, you had gold, red and blue. And now you have whites and grays and, you know, you have this really great voice doing the narration. Ken, you said it was Orson Welles. It was Orson There was just Wells, a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. What do you guys remember about this trailer? Because I don't really, like I said, it just doesn't really resonate with me uh, from memory standpoint. Well, I was about a year and a half old when this trailer came out, so I really don't remember it from first run. The first time I really remember it is from uh, watching it on the DVDs when they came out. Um, it was in the special special feature section. It had all of the trailers, all of the TV spots, and I just remember that it was just nothing but shots of the ship, shots of the crew, and no music, and the voiceover saying William Shatner as Captain James T. Kirk, and you know it's it, it was kind of dull and drab, and I, it just didn't really feel like it was a finished trailer to me. It didn't tell us anything about what was going to go on in the storyline. I actually remember it, or at least I think I do. I was 13 when the, when the motion picture came out and 
that was the timeline where you had uh, Star Wars and then you had Battlestar Galactica, which made its theatrical debut. Then you had Superman, the movie, the, and Aliens. And I remember, I think, off and on those trailers. And then revisiting it, as we just did, you're right. And, and as we learned afterwards, they were nowhere close to finishing the movie uh, it literally was wet when they delivered it to Washington, D.C., off the plane. And a lot of the effects weren't done. The music wasn't done. Everything was being rushed uh, to get it done. And so they had to put something out there. And if you look at some of the earlier posters, too, they have kind of a hybrid enterprise between what we remember from the show and the engines from the new one. And they're all trying to put these little composites together. So to me, the trailer was a reintroduction. Here's the crew. Here's what they look like now. Here's their new rank structure. Uh, everybody got promoted. Not very much, by the way, considering all the timelines, that all the time that had gone on. But that was that really was truly what it was. It was just kind of a walk. And then they had those funky lasers that they, they could do, I guess, back in 1978 when they were creating the trailer. And they tried to make a go out of it with what they had. I think it, it raised the level of expectation. You saw the Enterprise, but I don't know if you noticed when you watched the trailer. And I know for our audience at home, they're listening to it. And we'll provide the link when we do the Babel conference. And you guys can take a look for it for yourselves and follow us along. That... Uh, there wasn't much of a backdrop, no stars really, no earth. So it really was just a focus on the trip, even when on the ship, when I said the trip, I meant to say the ship, excuse me, <laughs> you know, cause you, you know, there's a little play on words there, but when they, show, <laughs> when they show the deflective <laughs> dish lighting up, it doesn't look anything like the quality that you see in the movie. But I think for all of us, it was kind of exciting back in the day because here we go, Star Trek's back and here's your old friends coming back and they all look pretty good for the most part. And uh, that's sort of what I remember. I do remember anticipating this movie uh, for just because sci-fi was really big back then and this was the next big thing. And this kind of, you know, just to un- go ahead, Jeff. I, I was just going to say that uh, the unfinished quality of the the film and the trailer that kind of ties in with the comic strip that uh, they started doing right about the same time as the film's release, and they had so little that was in the can at the time that even the ending was being changed right up until the last minute, and the comic strip opens up with some of the characters that you know died at the end of the movie. Or, you know, got changed. You know, you got Ilea showing up in the comic strip. You've got the design of the ship from those posters that was based on that Phase 2 design that shows up in the comic strip because the people making the comic didn't even know what was going on. And another thing, I, I actually liked how you said that they delivered the film wet, Ken, because I think for some of our younger listeners that they don't they didn't code it straight to digital. You know, they went to, they actually had to develop negative film. You know, yep. so somewhere along the lines, you know, they had to, you know, neutralize the developer. They had to squeeze it out, but it still wasn't air dried and they had to roll that stuff up. So it'd be it's like a miracle that sometimes those those rolls, those reels didn't stick together in some places and actually just, you know, create really hot contact points, you know, on the projector. That's where projector reels burned. You know, so it's, it's lucky <laughs> that we you didn't see like a major accident during the motion pictures debut. And also one of the things I wanted to get to earlier and it just struck me is that when we're looking at these trailers, trailers back then, you know, this is 1979. Uh, they were different. They were a completely different a marketing animal and, and marketing tone for the industry. 
It wasn't the kind of, you know, parsed out, highly structured marketing engine that it is now. It was really just kind of like a, a handful of ideas. Some were finished, some weren't. Some of the footage made it, some didn't. And it was just out there to promote. But there was really more of a a hands-on grassroots promotion, sending out lobby cards to the movies, putting up posters, getting word of mouth out, uh, advertising in Starlog Magazine or Fangoria or Cinefantastique and all the trades at the time, putting ads in your local newspaper. That's the way that movies really kind of came out. And in the theatrical trailer, one, possibly even two, if, if or actually two, made it out there in the theaters to be able to advertise the movie. And Sometimes it wasn't really that big of a deal. You know, it just kind of like it happened and no one really talked about it after that. But when we get to part two of Trailer Park here, we're going to talk about 09 and 09 is going to be like, okay, there are five trailers attached to this movie as opposed to the one or two that are attached to these. So it's a completely different way of how movies were advertised like in theater. So and and it shows because when we get to this next one, when Star Trek 2, Jeff, you're going to introduce this. It's it's a little bit different. The, the tone is, I think, ramping up with this one as opposed to the motion picture. Yeah, uh, even comparing the trailer for the motion picture to other trailers from the time, like we were saying with the, you know, um, with Star Wars and with Superman, the trailers for those had a very different feel than this trailer does. Those trailers are really more in line with what we saw for Star Trek II's trailer. Well, the only one I can remember from that timeline that really stuck out to me was the one for Alien. And that was really, really creepy because it was just a dark screen with kind of this, you don't realize it at the time, an egg lighting up with Mm -hmm. the green light and the music and the screams. And, oh, that was a that was a terrifying trailer uh, for a kid. When when that came out, I I remember uh, not being allowed to see that movie because it was too scary and I was too young. And they were right. That fit the tone of the movie perfectly, too. It did. It did. Yep. But that was that was the same same timeline as Star Trek, the motion picture Mm -hmm. and uh, two very different trailers. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I think they uh, took a little more chances with the way that they put them together back then than they do now. Now it's a little bit more of a formula. Mm hmm. I agree. All right, that said, uh, um, well, let's uh, take a look at the trailer for The Wrath of Khan. Beyond the darkness, beyond the human evolution, is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant, exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy, left for dead, he has survived. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. There she is. Three minutes or we're all dead. 
done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me. Marooned for all eternity. Buried alive. Buried alive. Sean! Sean! At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Opens at a theater near you, June 4th. Now this trailer, I think uh, it establishes the characters and the conflict very succinctly. It's a really good summary and introduction to what this film is about, who's in it, and what's going to happen. You know, just you get really quick glimpses of some of the things like they show the shot of the the video for the Genesis uh, device, but we aren't told what it is in the in the trailer. We don't know what it is, but it looks cool, and we know that Khan is involved. We know he's seeking revenge on Captain Kirk or Admiral Kirk now, and we know Kirk is in it, and he looks older. Everybody looks older, and you know they're going to come into conflict, and there's going to be a big fight, but. That's all we really know, and that's all we really need to know at this point, I think. Yeah, this was 1982, and now, you know, just just to keep heaping on uh, and dating myself here, and Ken, we're probably going to date ourselves all over the place, you know, with this show. So, so I'm 10 years old now, and now I'm starting to be, I, I'm, I'm putting the pieces together. Like, I know Khan. I remember Khan, you know, from the reruns. I this is a stage of my fandom and, and we all are there at various points of our lives where we're just, we're not the fans that we're, we are now like more mature fans that have like this complete catalog and library of details and faces and names and dates and all that kind of stuff. But I just remembered that this is a bad guy. This was a guy that like, you know, he, he gave Kirk a run for his money on the TV show. Things happened and he got put on this planet and you're kind of feeling this whole this is a different tone. You're right. The, uh, the actors are a little bit older. And I think that's kind of a really interesting theme that we have every single time we anticipate the next Star Trek movie. It's like, what are the actors going to look like now? Because everyone's getting a little heavier or a little grayer, a little bit more, you know, a wrinkle here or there. And they just, they're starting to distance themselves from the uh, actors that we knew on the TV show. And it's, it's kind of a neat thing, but it's almost kind of a melancholy thing at the same time. And, but there was so much, um, a different energy about this. And, it started setting that trend, especially with the new uniforms, because now you know that it's a completely different thing that you saw from the motion picture. There seems to be like a completely different direction they're going in. And you're kind of excited about that because, you know, you like seeing new things in, on the big screen. You like seeing bigger effects and bigger ships and newer designs and even an interesting new character or two. So I thought this was really interesting. It was fun. It was fun visiting this again because this is my favorite film of all time, of any film. Yeah, I heard that somewhere. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I remember was being pretty pumped when when the, when they came out, and it was action through and through. And it's it's funny the hypocrisy we hear today with a lot of the fans, and oh, the reboots are nothing but action. Well, have you seen the trailer for Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan? It is nothing but lasers and things blowing up and people running around and. You know, and then that that great shot of the Genesis device, but you don't know what's going on. It looks like the planet's exploding. So, and Kirk is you know, they, they, they 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 definitely wanted to separate themselves from the motion picture and get people in because they listened. You know, they they heard the critiques 
from the first movie, and they, they wanted you to see that, oh, no, this is, this is the Star Trek version of Star Wars, at least from a trailer perspective. And it didn't turn out that way in the real movie, but I remember being so pumped that this, this was coming out. And, you know, like we said when we talked about the two movies, it was a little bit of a different first-time watch because the scale and the scope was different, but the action, the action in this trailer is what drove it. And you're going to see that common theme, I think, throughout the rest of them. And, and it was it was a high-speed trailer. It really was. It's funny that you mentioned that because when you really think about it, in hindsight being 2020 and applying what we know about the movie to the trailer, there are really only like three key action sequences in the entirety of that movie. There was the right. there was the beginning, the Kobayashi Maru test. Then there was the first encounter of, with the Reliant, and then there was the final fight. And there's this great story like that spans like all the little bits in between. So when you see, I'd like to just for for a moment just kind of like jump forward in time and apply this to what we saw of Beyond because everyone's like, oh, Beyond is just you know it's it's Star Trek and Furious or Fast Trek and Furious or whatever you wanted to call it. But that's that's a little disingenuous knowing what you saw of the original Star Trek II trailer, because that was just all action, 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 action. And we know that that movie wasn't. So I think it's a little unfair when people threw that huge criticism down on Justin Lin's first cut, which he didn't cut himself, nor had the supervision of Simon Pegg to do it. I think that fans kind of jumped on that unfairly. And I hope that the second trailer, which is going to be coming up hopefully soon for Star Trek Beyond, is going to be able to show a little bit more of the scope of that film. Because we all know that we got in Star Trek 2, and hopefully the direction is going to be that much broader and bigger in scope for Star Trek Beyond. So not everything that you see is in the trailers are designed specifically to do a very specific thing. And in this case, for Star Trek 2, it was to take everything in a different direction. Yeah, it was all about getting you all pumped up and ready to go, wasn't it? Okay, are we good with Star Trek 2, fellas? Any final comments before we move on? Aside, it's the greatest movie in Star Trek history? No, I'm done with that. Okay, hey, you're, you're, <laughs> you're welcome to your opinion. And un, unlike many people on Facebook, Norm, I'm not going to say you're wrong. Ooh. I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to say you have a right to say what you say, and it was a great movie, and that we will not disagree on. So, for the trailer for Star Trek 3, so... This was a little bit different. This was really forecasting exactly what was going to happen in the movie, other than whether or not Spock gets resurrected or not. So let's take a listen. All that they've loved. All that they've fought for. All that they've stood for will now be put to the test. Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. The word, sir? The word? Is no. I am therefore going anyway. You do this, you'll never sit in the captain's chair again. Engage auto systems. Clear all moorings. Cleared, sir. One quarter impulse power. Someone is stealing the Enterprise. Warp speed. Bring out Bird Bracer. She's arming torpedoes. Shields are. The shield's not responsive. Fuck! <laughs> sitting duck. Join us on this, the final voyage of the Starship Enterprise. Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. The adventure continues. So you come away from this trailer knowing that it's the final voyage of the USS Enterprise. 
And that's how they framed it. And they show it. And it is so damn disappointing because I remember that I think it was in Starlog or something before they showed it. There was pictures in, in Starlog magazine of the Enterprise in space dock next to the Excelsior. It was the first glimpse you had at a new starship, which was which was really cool. And there wasn't many hints of what was going to happen. And then the trailer comes out and you go, what, are you kidding me? I mean, it was one thing to kill Spock. It was another thing to kill the Enterprise. You don't mess with mm. my ship, man. You know, that's, that's <laughs> wrong. So you're, we always have to trade off. We have to kill the Enterprise in order to get Spock back. I would have said that's not a fair trade back in the day. It really was a fair trade, I guess, because it all worked out. But that was probably the toughest thing about watching that trailer. Again, very action-oriented. They're stealing the Enterprise. They say it. You see it get outside the uh, space station, so that kind of ruins the tension when you're in the movie theater and you're wondering if the door's going to open or the engine's going to crash into it. Nope, they show it in the trailer, backing right out of that sucker. And then, you know, then, then... the rest of the adventure, I guess, kind of continues from that point on. So you don't know from the trailer that it was going to be decommissioned or anything, but you do know that it was the last voyage of the Starship Enterprise. And it was an old Disney trick. Disney used to do that all the time back then. Buy this video. It's the last time it'll be offered. And then they, five years later, would come out in a completely different format or something and say, well, we just meant in that format. But anyway, it was a a very good trailer, I guess, but disappointing for a lot of people that were were big fans of the ship yeah they wouldn't say whether or not they resurrect spock but they will definitely show you that they're blowing up the enterprise yeah that that was uh, a little disappointing yeah come join us for the final adventure of the starship enterprise is the last tagline i mean come on fellas what did you think of seeing the klingons again jeff um it was I, I kind of, you know, I, th- I think it was due. Um, they had Khan in Star Trek Two, and they had a brief shot with Klingons in Star Trek motion picture. So, I mean, at this point, it's either bring the Klingons back or bring the Romulans back. And the Klingons showed up a lot more in the original series than the Romulans did, so it's more likely that they'd bring back the Klingons, and here they are. Well, come on, Mr. Ataz. What's the trivia with that? Why is that ship called the Bird of Prey? Come on, hit us. <laughs> well, the original script was that it was supposed to have been a stolen Romulan ship, but then that got cut out of the movie and then retconned, and now in Enterprise they've got Klingon Birds of Prey 100 years before this. So now they're saying they've always had them, but uh, the original draft of the script said that it was a, a supposed to be a stolen Romulan ship. Oh, I thought they were. I thought the bad guys were supposed to be Romulans. That's the first I've heard it was a stolen ship. Yeah, the uh, and they um, changed it to the Klingons. Yeah, the the original script. You know, they were kind of tying in with the whole thing from the third season, where they were saying that there was a an exchange of uh, technology. So the Romulans had Klingon ships, and now this was a Klingon with a Romulan ship. I see. Okay. You know, the thing that just sticks, I think, in everyone's mind with this trailer was that. They showed what happened to the mm-hmm. Enterprise. I thought that was pretty much, yeah, and, and I think all the listeners out there know that I'm 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 pretty open and I'm pretty fair and I'm pretty accepting of most things. But I thought it was the dumbest thing I ever saw in my entire life from a marketing mm-hmm. standpoint. I mean, and I was like, you know, I was only what now twelve years old, and I go, really, you're going to show me an exploding Enterprise? Why would you do that? Why would you just? Why wouldn't you save that? Leave you know, it, for, it just makes yeah, no sense yeah. to me. 
leave it up in the air whether or not they're able to get out of that. But why even like show this on a trailer? That has absolutely no reason to be in the trailer because that is a pivotal part, not just in the movie itself, but in the history of Star Trek. You destroyed a ship that you saw in 1966. We're supposed to believe it made this great five-year mission. Then it got refit. Then it went through Star Trek 1 and 2. It survived those. And all of a sudden, you're just going to do this because... I don't know. That's that's like saying, like, you know, let's put Kirk in a fight with an alien for no reason and have him die on a bridge. That makes that, it makes that much sense. I don't know why they would do that. But, hey, I'm getting a little ahead of myself and I think I've had too much coffee. So, yeah, um, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think they could have ended it uh, differently instead. You know, you have the line where Scotty is saying, you know, that, you know, the automation's failing. You know, you've got Chekhov saying that the shields are not responding and then end it with the Klingon captain saying fire. That would have been dramatic. Right. That would have left it. worse for Riker and the board. Yeah, and <laughs> that would have left it up in the air whether or not the Enterprise actually manages to get out of it. And that would bring more butts in the seat. Well, I mean, the other thing is like when, when you announce a trailer like this, you know, and, and you're saying Star Trek through the search for Spock, you know what happened. You know that Spock didn't soft land on Genesis. You know that his, you know, his torpedo was intact. And I, I like I like the way that they handled a lot of the kind of like the MacGuffins that happened in the movie. But when you're showing it in the trailer, you're like, okay, Spock is obviously going to be alive. You saw bits and pieces of him going through the, the Genesis growth, if you will. And I was like, you know what, if I were, if I had to recut that trailer, I would have nothing to do with that. It would just be Kirk, Kirk and the crew just trying to, to, to get the ship, to steal the ship and maybe even have Sykes just say like the last thing is like, you know, Kirk, you do this, you know, they're going to throw you out of the Federation forever. And Kirk just goes warp speed and then boom, Star Trek three, the search for Spock, work too. you know, and then it would be perfect because now the Kirk is on the line, his ship is on the line, his crew is on the line and then go to the theater and see what happens. You know, you don't have to see the aftermath and that, that kind of, you see that in today's trailers. And I was like, wow, you don't need to do that. So that trailer for me was completely like emotionally the opposite of, of what I saw in con. Cause when I saw the enterprise explode, that just gutted me. I'm just like, Oh, that's great. <laughs> I have to have that to look forward to. They better save Spock. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, at least they didn't give away that, uh, the, the real drama in that because it was all given away was obviously David's death. So at least they didn't kind of hint at, at that, which when you think about it, uh, it was a pretty, you know, it was a pretty dark movie overall. But anyway, we move on. Well, you have to get through a little bit of that darkness because the next movie and the next trailer that we're going to talk about is so great. It's so lighthearted and so fun. And this is 1986 Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. So let's take a listen. is on the edge of destruction. We cannot survive unless a way can be found to respond to the probe. The key to saving the future... Spock, you're talking about the end of every life on Earth. ...can be found only in the past. We're going to attempt time travel. Sulu, take us home. These are the voyages of the crew of the Starship Enterprise. Judging by the pollution content of the atmosphere, I believe we have arrived at the latter half of the 20th century. Stardate, 1986. San Francisco, 
Our own world is waiting for us to save it. They have 24 hours. Everybody remember where we parked. Break up. To complete their mission. It looked like a cadet review. He will beam in tonight, collect the photons, and beam out. I want you all to be very careful without being discovered. We have an intruder. All right, who are you? You're not exactly catching us at our best. That much is certain. This is an extremely primitive and paranoid culture. What does it mean, exact change? Many of their customs will doubtless take us by surprise. We're ready for beam out. My transporter power is down to minimal. I've got to bring you in one at a time. You're from outer space. No, I'm from Iowa. I only work in outer space. Let's do our job and get out of here. Freeze! Take off, can you hear me? Freeze! I've lost it. Who are you? You can't. Our next stop is the 23rd century. Full power now. Shields at maximum. Steady. Hold on tight, lassie. Can we make breakaway speed? That's all I can give you. Book eight. Book nine. Now. Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Now, this is a trailer I absolutely remember seeing in the theater. And the one thing I loved about it the most was that it was it was very lighthearted. It was fun. And you got to see all the characters kind of in their in their element, but not in their element. And this we love we love time travel in Star Trek. We love seeing kind of like our fish out of water characters. And in this case, it's now the crew. We like seeing them in all these different situations where it just looks odd. And now you got to see Spock a little bit in his. Berkeley, quote unquote, Berkeley LSD. Yes, I said LSD, LDS robes or LSD robes. Um, you saw all these different ways that the characters have been affected by the events of Star Trek II and Star Trek Three, And it just seemed interesting. And you got to see a little bit of the environmental cause behind the whales. Not a lot of it, just a little bit. Everything just seemed to work right in this trailer for me. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, um pretty perfect summary of the film gives you an ex- you know exactly what you're getting into when you go see this movie the only thing i would have changed is leave out the bits at the end where they're showing the bird of prey coming back to earth and the whales in the water next to the bird of prey i mean that kind of spoils the ending a bit you know of do they succeed or not other than that i, yeah. I think the the trailer was great the trailer was good. It, it um, in my opinion, anyway, it, it starts off with kind of all the action and, and it takes, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds of, okay, this is going to be a high moving movie. You, you really don't get a sense that it's going to be a comedy and then they flip it on you. And then the last part of the trailer is a lot of the little bits that we, we, we remember so well from the movie, which I thought was pretty well done. So I think they captured the entire essence of the film, and you knew it was going to be a fun one, but there was going to be some tension involved. I didn't, even though they showed the whales and all that, I didn't put two and two together that it was going to be about whales. I just, they're in the water, and there's a whale. Okay, hello. Um, but, uh, you know, at any rate, it was, it was, it was a well-done trailer. It, it set you up pretty good. It was kind of funny how that it was... Uh, there wasn't a lot of cutback pieces in that trailer. It kind of followed the movie from when it started to what it ended. And a couple of little switcheroos with uh, Chekhov there and the Marines chasing him and all that. But uh, I, I thought I thought they did a good job. And I remember, too, because back in those days, I was, I was 20 years old. 
and um, we were doing convention. And we were at a convention before the movie came out, and they actually had a commercial or I don't know if it was just for the convention or it was advertised, but it was William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy on an airplane talking about Star Trek's 20th anniversary. And that Leonard's like, I have a brilliant idea for a movie. We'll call it Star Trek Four. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was a it was nice, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it was it was really nice for the fans of the convention back at the uh, back in the day because okay, you knew another one was coming up for the anniversary, which we we figured there would be. So they they did a nice job with the trailer. It you how can you lose at Star Trek? You know, it, the one thing they didn't give away, which was great, was that there would be a new Enterprise. And you know, also, at least because maybe they were in this soft trilogy of movies, I didn't really see a lot of the age progression between two, three, and four. And because they were in, at times, you know, um, at least at that time, modern um, San Francisco in 1986, it just seemed like they fit in well. They didn't seem like out of place age wise. It's just everything seems so right about it. And I don't know. there are times when you see like the progression, especially in uh, just to jump, just to jump the timeline here, especially between five and six, where you're seeing them a lot grayer, a lot more, just, they just look a little bit older, but I don't really see that uh, when it comes to this trailer. I just feel like it's a natural continuation. I think for the most part, they're wearing the same clothing from mm-hmm. Star Trek three too. Is that correct? So you feel like maybe it's just because you feel like it's kind of like that that continued story, like all of a sudden two years have passed and and you're back in the theater and you're watching the the trailer come on. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember those guys. They were wearing the same stuff and they have the Klingon bird of prey and all this kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's just neat. And it was neat seeing uh, Catherine Hendricks in there um, who plays Jillian Hicks, because, again, always nice to see somebody new who's going to find their way into this wacky storyline that's happening and. And boy, did she ever, because I thought she was great in the uh, in the overall movie. But I, I just think it was nice. It was a nice light trailer and it was a lot of fun. It was wacky, but not as wacky as probably the next trailer that we're going to get to. So, Jeff, how about you start well, us off with that? The next one, uh, wrapping up for the first decade of uh, Star Trek films, we have 1989 Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. And as the tagline went, this was the reason that they were installing seatbelts in the theaters. From a relaxing vacation on Earth. Greetings, Captain. I do not think you realize the gravity of your situation. (laughs) To the most perilous reaches of space. Only one crew dare travel where no man has ever gone before. We'll need all the power you can muster, mister. On a desolate planet, a renegade Vulcan seeks ultimate knowledge. To find it, we'll need a starship. And he will stop at nothing to get it. I dreamt that a madman had taken over the Enterprise. (laughs) You look like you've just seen a ghost. Perhaps I have, Captain. Our destination is the planet Shakari, Eden, at the center of the galaxy. The center of the galaxy can't be reached. If you ask me, and you haven't, I think this is a terrible idea. We're bound to bump into the Klingons. Remain on course. To Kirk. 
He's a fanatic to be fought. You know we'll never make it through the Great Barrier. I say the danger is an illusion. To the crew, he's a mystic to be followed. Cyborg has simply put us in touch with feelings that we've always been. I have to get back to the transporter. To Spock, he's the past he must confront. Shoot him! You know I'm right. Spock, my only concern is getting the ship back. And you're either with me or you're not. Put him in the brig with Captain Kirk. I'm a prisoner on my own ship. What are you standing around for? Do you not know a jailbreak when you see one? Mr. Scott, you're amazing. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Emergency channel open. A hostile force has taken control of our vessel. Put us on a direct course with the Great Barrier. Understood, Enterprise. We are dispatching a rescue ship immediately. Bird of prey bearing 105, Mark 2. Let me do something. Mr. Sulu, full ahead. Rensler power to warp drive. Warp speed now. The greatest enterprise of all is adventure. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Now, this ep- uh, this trailer, I I'm not entirely sure where to start. Oh, there's a lot of size in I that am right there. I'm not entirely sure where to, <laughs> si- uh, to start on this thing. Um, the bird of prey sounded like a tire fighter. Um, it, it uh, the the voiceover sounded like a next generation commercial. Uh, next week on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, but it just kind of seemed like the movie was a little bit of a mess, even just from this trailer. Uh, it was a good summary of the film, which can go both ways. And in this, uh, it, uh, like I said, it, it, it was a little bit of a mess. Well, the reason they installed the seat belts was so you couldn't walk <laughs> out. So they, they, they had a, an instant lock. So oh, when you oh, sat snap. down it's and like you, the, uh, you tried uh, to move, like the seat belts yeah, you were the, done. Uh, you, it was, that's right. You were restrained. So so that was that was the first piece of that. And I didn't catch it until I saw the movie and I understood what they were doing. Secondly, the trailer was kind of a hodgepodge, like you said. I think they tried to show a lot of exciting scenes. But as we look at it now, and we know all the movies very well, every special effects shot was from a different movie because we knew the special effects after seeing Star Trek V were just horrible. They were just absolutely horrible. So you see scenes of the Enterprise all beat up and burnt up from Star Trek II. You see the bird of prey from Star Trek III and Star Trek IV, and you see it going around the sun, and it doesn't make any sense. But, yeah, I mean, it was... um, The trailer itself, if you didn't know any better... It was okay, you know. It, it it looked like it could be setting up something that could be very interesting because it does cut back and forth a lot, and it could confuse you. It, you know, it, it definitely isn't a linear trailer, but it was maybe it's maybe the movie was was so tough to watch that watching the trailer reminded you of how tough that movie was to watch. Now, I I can watch the movie today, and and I'm like, yeah, okay, but it's uh. You know, it's it's definitely not one of the better films in the franchise, and the trailer itself was not one of the better trailers in the franchise. At least they didn't spoil the whole relationship between Spock and Cybok. No, they did that all by themselves. 
<laughs> Chief, what are you drinking there? I really need to know what's in that glass because you're on fire and fuego today, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone stick around. The veal's fantastic. Don't forget to tip your waitress. The uh, Chief's mic is live right now. So, <laughs> you know, looking back at this trailer, I, I just remember that um, some of the things that stood out to me were not the obvious things. And I see this, I see a lot of things from kind of like an artist's and production designer's point of view, because that's kind of my profession. And that's what I wanted to do when I was growing up. The one thing that I saw that was different was you saw, um, there were actually away team uniforms that they wore Mm -hmm. on the attack on, um, oh gosh, uh, Atos, help me out here. Nimbus three. Nimbus three. Thank you. Thank you, chief. I'm here for you. You know, Atos, you, he's, he's prepping up for his trivia later on. So I'm here for <laughs> yeah, So on Nimbus three, you got to see that you got to see like the giant phaser cannon, hand cannon thing that Sulu busted out. Um, I just like seeing stuff like that. Like, uh, mm-hmm. in Star Trek two, the wrath of Khan, uh, you had the, um, the really cool high collared away team jackets here. You had these like assault commando sweatshirts, which I thought were really neat. But at the same time, this is what I was talking about earlier. You're starting to see a little bit of of a physical change, a physical nature in a lot of these actors, except for DeForest Kelly, who always maintained his weight. But a lot of the actors were getting just a little bit on the heavier side, and especially in costumes like that, because they just don't they're just not flattering unless you're DeForest Kelly, which everything is on him. So that was interesting. And I think the one thing that I can laugh at now, but really made me mad uh, at the end of the trailer for, for Star Trek five was when Scotty said, I know the ship like the back of my hand and he bonkered himself because I'm like, you know what? You had wacky zany with four. Let's get back on track with five. Something like that is just not quite in the vein of Scotty. You know, he's, he's funny, but he's not slapstick Chevy chase, Dan Aykroyd kind of funny, you know, with, or Steve Martin, you know, it's not, he's not a knee slapper. You know, he's more of a, uh, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's drink, let's drink scotch with an alien kind of funny, you know? So that kind of like just weirded me out a little bit. Um, overall, I think the thing that really kind of drives you out of the, of the spectacle of this is there's the non-spectacle. You're right. All the, all the, uh, effects were kind of rehashed and, uh, just looked really, under budget for something that you thought was the, you know, was supposed to be this big follow-up for four. Cause four was so big. I mean, as four was so successful and then five just looks like it got the legs cut out from under it. And it was like, let's step backwards instead of forwards. And it kind of showed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they did up the budget for this and I know I was really excited for it. And I think that's why it was such a big fall. I, I think that the, the trailer when it came out had me pretty excited for the movie. And I think that's why, when you did go and see it and, and it it just really didn't marry up to, to what was promised. It was really a second tier effort, uh, for a movie that, like I said, they, they, I think it was a $30 million budget, if I remember right, compared to the voyage home, which I think was 25 million and what they were able to do in the voyage home. And you compare, and it's just like, man, they, they really just, they, they, you know, they couldn't use ILM. I guess they were booked or something, and it just, just didn't turn out the same. It'll, it'll be fun when we really dig deep into this movie, not so much the trailer, because the trailer is not indicative of the quality of the movie because of all the other effects shots that they pulled into it. But, hey, you know, I it's Star Trek. I love Star Trek. I'll watch the movie. I just I just kind of cringe a little bit at different different points in it, and there's a couple of things in it that are that are pretty cool too, and I give them credit for trying to make it more of an epic picture with 
with what they had, but uh, they just came up a little short. You know, one thing I wanted to bring about um, as a point here for the movies, and it's not necessarily trailer related, but it is advertising related, is that I don't remember if it's for the motion picture especially, but for the movie posters for two through five, you had the extraordinary artwork by Bob Peake. I mean, all those posters are just fantastic. And they almost set the tone for the movie almost better than the trailers did in many respects. So when you take a look at just the nostalgia of these movies, take a look at how good those posters really were. And I think there are alternate versions of the posters, but from, I know from at least Wrath of Khan to Star Trek V, and I think Star Trek V was his last one because I think he passed sometime around or after that. Gosh, that movie poster work is amazing. And only really one person, Drew Struzan, has really been able to follow that up for for that type of old school illustrative movie poster artwork. It's just fantastic. Yeah, and unfortunately, Star Trek II, the 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 ones that we, we see today, especially on the VHS cover, that wasn't the one that was sent out to the movie theaters. It was just Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, great big letters. And then around the frame of it, they had pictures from the movie. And that was the main one right, that they, they sent right. out to the theaters. And it's like, oh, okay. That to me that was a little cheesy. And then you see the quality of the of the of the poster that came out afterwards and in you know, after it had played for a while and then at the, what they were selling at the convention. It was like it was night and day. And that was I think part of the reason that I struggled with, like I always said, the quality of the first one and the second one, because even the second poster was like, oh, that was kind of cheap. You know, you could see that the first motion picture poster was really clever, was bright, it was beautiful. Then they just put pictures around it. And then when it was redone, it was absolutely magnificent. And I think they followed that path through the rest of the movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those posters are just so well done that, I mean, they're constantly uh, uh, making homage to them in like in the comic books. The... uh, I mentioned earlier the Manifest Destiny miniseries that's going on right now with the alternate universe crew. They have alternate covers for each issue. For issue one, it was um, you know the the motion picture with the faces of the new crew. The second issue came out recently. It's got the faces of the new you know Christopher Pine and and the rest of them on the faces of the Wrath of Khan poster, and it just looks phenomenal. And it just you know, just really a testament to how well those posters were made, uh, that they stand up, you know, decades later. They do. Yeah, they do. You know, the funny thing is, um, in, in most of the trailers, at least today, uh, a handful of musical cues are being used because they are famous and they actually sometimes do fit the trailers. But can you, you brought up this really interesting note, about James Horner's music in here. Why don't you touch upon that a little bit? Sure. It was just one thing was we were preparing for this that I that I picked up, and I think any of the Star Trek fans would, is that, first of all, Star Trek, the motion picture, no music, some kind of humming noise, like an engine coming online or something. But for, for two, three, four, and five, they used James Horner's music. So he only composed two and three, so I thought that was that was kind of neat that they they put them all in there. Now I'm guessing that uh, the new composers, whether it was uh, Rosenman or um, Goldsmith again for for five, they obviously hadn't completed it, and 
they they put it all together. But you, we saw that a lot in the eighties. You know, mm-hmm. if I don't know if you remember, but a lot of the comedies, I don't know how many of them. There had to be four or five different movies. I remember in trailers, they would use the same music from Stripes. You know that that, that oh, same sure. theme, and and so it's it's very economical to do that. And I think that that Horner's music was it was really good. I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed his 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 theme work, but it was something you, I picked up very very quickly. That uh, oh, okay, that's not Rosenman's, and that's not Goldsmith's, and they just kept going on with it, and it worked great for you know for all those movies. So that that's that's pretty good. It's a good testimony to to Horner's work that, in a sense, it it, it could all fit very well. You know, it's funny is that aside from. Uh, doing it for Star Trek. I mean, then Horner's work was picked up. They like used a lot of his Braveheart work for other <laughs> other movies. Yeah. And even some other bits. So he just had a, I don't know, there was something about his work that was just really kind of universal and, and it worked across a lot of different trailers. But he he had a very, obviously he had a very signature sound. He did. And yeah. it was associated, since it was Star Trek 2 and 3 back to back, you know, it was very just associative with with that franchise. And if the trailer people were cutting it, it's like, well, what can we use that we don't have to pay royalty rights on? It's like, well, we can use stuff from the, that's canned in Paramount. So, sure. Hey, you know, I mean, the, these are kind of like the technical things that just kind of permeate through, uh, the magic factory that happens, you know, in Hollywood. But, um, we have a lot to get to still. So, and a lot of it has to do with Mr. Ataz. So as he's warming up his brain, any final thoughts left here on the trailers? Because this is just the first half, folks. This is just 1979 to 1989. And there was a lot here that we talked about. And there's a lot of nostalgia lane that we kind of drove down. But take a look at these trailers. Ken, you're going to post the link uh, in the Babel conference, you know, before the show drops. And yep. what else do we have to say about these trailers that we haven't said? I think it's a good preview for what we're going to be doing as we get ready for Star Trek Beyond. So we're going to finish... The um, the rest of the trailers, right? Uh, we're gonna do six, seven, and beyond, and and into darkness, which will be fun to do. But then mm-hmm. we're gonna be doing all the movies, and I think it'll be a, a good adventure to see how we compare the actual movies to uh, what we just said about the trailers. What lived up to expectations and what didn't. But uh, mm-hmm. overall, this was kind of a a great idea. This whole subject was came from the Babel conference. That's right. And yeah. it was it was a, it was brilliant because I don't know if this has been done before. Is this a is this a Trek FM original? Could it be? Well, if it isn't, we're definitely claiming that ours is. That's right. That's for sure. Yes, because yeah. with our technical prowess and Smedlap's ability, we can go back and erase any other show that might have mentioned trailers. Great idea, Norm. I'm on it. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. Okay. Go to the archives. You have the access. You have the passwords. We can do that. Uh, yeah, not legally, but we will do it. <laughs> How about you, Jeff? Any final words on the trailers? Uh, I just really enjoyed seeing them. I haven't watched them in a while, uh, so it, it was nice to uh, to go back and watch them again. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to doing the rest of the uh, the movies in the original series. I know this is kind of like a soft ramp up to Beyond because Beyond's going to be here July 22nd. At least that's the the locked in date right now. I mean, anything can happen in the world of Hollywood and, and who knows, but we hope it's going to be around there. So yeah, we're going to have this, we're going to have trailer park two and we're going to have our ramp up with the movies and we're just going to kind of get everyone warmed up, get everyone's brains kind of like reengaged with the original series movies. And 
where they came from and where they're going to lead us to. And I think it's going to be a, just a really great kind of immersion for people that have that are going through the from from there to here and just really locking into the movies and moving forward with this cast and then just revisiting what you loved about it, kind of poking fun at the things that, you know, like the Klingons in five or or the the rocket boots that shoot you up, what, 50 decks, even though there aren't 50 decks, you know, and with the yeah so just stuff like that it's all fun it's all good it's all star trek and you know don't take it too seriously because we're here to have a good time and it's just entertainment <laughs> you know <laughs> as much as we like to drill down we like to drill down you know an inch wide and a mile deep but that's our fandom it's like so Shatner, it's like that's Shatner it for on uh, saturday night live it's just a television show <laughs> I, I oh, which it. actually is funny because that happened in 86 when he was doing the uh, press junket for the voyage home, or as they say in Japan, they would call it Sulu master of navigation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm getting, I'm just pumped for the next show. I, I like that trailer park too. the wrath of Atos. <laughs> we have to come up with something. It'll be good. <laughs> I love that. Either that or it's the wrath of Schmedlap. Mm, I don't know. We'll see. All righty. So, okay, so let's get right into it, Chief. You have some business to take care of with Mr. Atos before we go into the end of the show. I do. Hey, first of all, I want to thank um, Alan McDonald, William Murray, Roy Toddy, and and Trey Womack. I, I, I was I was online uh, last night thinking I, I've got to get some I've got to get some questions. We've we've had a dry spell, and you know Brandon Shea sent sent a good good question in the the week before. But as a host, he was like, oh, you, you know, I, I I don't expect a shirt or anything like that. So I, I would never want to disappoint his expectations. So he's good. So I figured that tonight, Mister Atos, we'll give you two chances. And I figured then that way, you know, uh, at least you get the odds are increased a little bit. And they're all very, very good questions. So you're I thought. saying may the odds and, be uh, in my favor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because eventually, because I'll start docking your pay if, if you don't start winning here. So are you ready for your first question? Wait, docking his pay? Mm-hmm. Wait, you're going to dock his pay to pay for the shirt <laughs> that you have to pay for? Something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's a little complicated, folks. The the model we have here is quite unique. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about that when we get to the Patreon section. Okay, are you ready? Uh yeah, go ahead. Okay, so the first question for you. This is from Trey Womack. Mr. Atos, who was the second officer on the ISS Enterprise from Mirror Mirror? That would have been Sulu. That is correct. Nice job. Okay. Sorry, Trey. Still a great question, though. Great question. That's yeah. a fair question, too. I think that's a pretty fair yeah, question. Everybody knows yeah, Spock that, that, that's the first perfect. officer. It's not very often that people think who's the second officer. Yeah. And, and right. you know, in, in 25 years in the Navy, I've never even heard the term second officer. So that's obviously Star Trek's um, inability to understand how things work. <laughs> but that's okay. We'll fix that later. So are you ready for the next one? Go ahead. Okay, this one is from Alan W. McDonald, and uh, he writes, For Mr. Ataz, who composed the super creepy music for TNG Night Terrors, and do you know of any other episodes he scored? So I think Alan must have been listening to quite a few of Brandon Shea's shows, because this this definitely came up. Um. 
I know there was only a, just like a handful of people that composed for TNG. Um, yeah, you're, you're going to kick yourself when you hear the name, too. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark and say Ron Jones. You got it right. Good shooting. Oh, my God. Two for two. Beautiful. Oh, my God. Nice job. Way to go. Wow. I'm sorry, That Alan. is impressive. Wow. That is impressive. I think I just blew out my mic and my earphones when I did that. Sorry, guys. That's okay. But that, I, I'm, even I'm impressed. Yeah, that was that was a great guess. You're right. There, there wasn't a lot, but uh, I thought that was pretty cool that, that, that Ron Jones was the, was the composer there, considering his, well, the amount of shows and things he's done in the past, but... Nice job, Mr. Atos. Two for two. You broke the streak. Now you're on a different streak. I love it. Wow. All right. Well Well done. Yeah, very well done. All right, fellows. And and I've got got two more questions uh, for you for next week. Nice compilation of uh, the the Next Generation uh, soundtracks that just recently came Mm -hmm. out. Um, You know, it's like four discs for volume one and volume two just. Is that the La La Land Records collection? I I don't have volume two yet, but I've got volume one. And I got the inter- enterprise. Okay, so people, people for for the next ask Mr. Ataz Volume Two of the La La Land Next Generation he doesn't have. So pick yeah, something it's from there. Bucks. I can't afford it. Right <laughs> it's a yeah, limited well, edition, hey, so it's just, just going up in price too. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, we've we'll got. Forgive you. I've got two more questions for you for next week from William Murray and 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 Roy Toddy. So we'll we'll they'll. We'll be set for you. We are ready for you. So nice, nice job. Ooh, I don't know, man. He is he is on in fuego. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's just that, that kind was, of that a high fantastic. energy show. Okay, good job. Mm-mm-mm. Well, I'm not even sure like uh, how I'm supposed to follow that with all these credits, but fantastic job, Mr. Atos. You saved the chief a little bit of scratch. Well, I cost him a little bit the last couple times, so making up for it. So you did you you made up for it. So we're I think we're back to we're back to nominal, aren't we, Chief? We are. Yeah. It's uh he's he's fifty percent now. Two for four. Excellent work. Mm-hmm. Excellent work, Mr. Ataz. So here we are. We're at the end of the show, and it's been an incredible time discussing the first ten years of Star Trek movie trailers here on the Temporal Trailer Park on Trek FM and Standard Orbit. But this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. Here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, commentary, Trek stars. Every single one of these movies has been good. So the idea that the first time that he's going to make a bad movie, like the one where he's going to drop the ball, is a Star Trek movie written by Simon Pegg, that does not compute. Meta Treks. Wait, your your idea of rising rise is like Fairhaven. Yeah, I, I like the I like the quiet, peaceful. I mean, every time I watch one of those, I don't want to see those Fairhaven uh, characters in bikinis. I'm sorry. Women at warp. So, I mean, if it weren't for the little Kira O'Brien interludes, it actually is kind of a dark episode because the very last oh, line it's, it's, is Bash- it's incredibly dark. Yeah, yeah. Bashir asks Cisco how could they have let things get so bad? And Cisco is like, I don't know. And that's the ending. And it's it's basically a challenge to us. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So Mr. Atos, uh, when you're not schooling trivia on all these uh, people that are sending in these questions that obviously you're just going to school even more in the next episode, how can all of our listeners find all the different ways they can hear you 
School People, and obviously the rest of the network shows as well. You can find well. us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at trep.fm and grab the RSS link there as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes, and it helps us to increase our visibility for new listeners. And as Ken mentioned earlier, we're going to talk a little bit about the Patreon program because that's super important to all of us here at Track FM because it's a program that helps fund the network and all of the different incentives that we want to afford all of our listeners. So Ken, take that away, please. Yes, Patreon. Patreon is Trek FM's vehicle for supporting our network. We take a lot of pride in the quality of our, podca- of our podcast and the variety we bring you. None of it's done for free. All three of your humble hosts here are big contributors to Trek FM, so we do practice what we preach here on this network. And we ask you to please consider contributing. Whatever you can spare is appreciated. And you can change the amount at any time. You're not locked into anything. But we do have some nice criteria and some incentives for you. So we have the following perks to offer as well. For $15, get you a seat at the Patrons Roundtable. Uh, It's been going now since last June. So we're coming up on a year with the Roundtable, which is real exciting. $25 gets you associate producer credits for any show you'd like. And we'd really love to add more associate producers to Standard Orbit. So please uh, consider us uh, and and consider donating through Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Trek FM. And we cannot thank you enough for your kind support. Thanks, Chief, for that. And you're right. We can't do what we do here on the show without the support of our associate producers. And thank you so much, Renee Roberts and Richard Rutledge. You have been supporting the show for quite a while now. And thanks really just isn't enough. And we just wanted to make sure that we thank you as much as we can on the air and let all of the patrons and future patrons know that the show that you choose at the associate producer level will always have you attached to it. So thank you. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701 and Richard at RUT8972. There's another really fun way that you can support and wear your fandom. You can go to redbubble.com, type Trek FM in the search field, find all the great designs that our very own art director Aaron Harvey has designed for you to be able to wear and show your pride regarding Trek FM. I think, uh, well, no, Mr. Atos is wearing something a little different, but the chief is sporting a very, very sharp a uh, black T-shirt with the Trek FM logo, and that fits you quite well. I think that's your color, and I'm wearing one in blue. Um, it's it's just really fun to be able to do that, to support the, the uh, network through all of those efforts. And con season is coming up. Star Trek Las Vegas, Dragon Con, Comic Con. You can just start front-loading all of your apparel right now making sure that you have all the different drinking paraphernalia that you need for the con, coffee paraphernalia. I don't know what else you would want to put in it, but Trek FM mugs, Trek FM t-shirts, Trek FM iPhone pads, iPad covers, and more on redbubble.com. So if you'd like to get in touch with us here on the network, you can always find us at trek.fm slash contact. Look at the sidebar on the show page. You can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. Let us know how we're doing. Give us a call, leave a voice message, and just, we would love to hear from you because emails are fun, texts are fun, voice messages are really personal. So send a personal message to us, let us know how we're doing. You can also find us through Facebook at facebook.com 
slash Trek FM. And we've talked about this many times before. You can always find the three of us on the Babel Conference. That is the Trek FM dedicated listeners page on Facebook. Type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at Trek FM and click discussion on the menu bar. Now, again, that is something that's a little bit more exclusive for the Trek FM listeners. If you'd like to join us there, please click on the link. We will let you into the group. I am one of the ad moderators there, so that won't be a problem at all. So, Ken, you had a pretty good run with Mr. Atos here, but I know that there are a lot of people out there that have even more questions for you. So how can they get in touch with you to help? stump Mr. Atos for future shows. Yes, if you want to stump Mr. Atos, please IM me through the aforementioned Babel Conference, or you could just look me up on Facebook and, and IM me that way. Pretty simple. Ken Tripp. You can't misspell it. It's like John Smith. Just two Ps. Easy day. And we will put a nice library of questions together. And what I try to do is 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 get them in the order that they were received. And that's I think that's the fairest way. So Keep them coming, and uh, yeah, that's that's the way to reach me. I don't have a Twitter handle, anything like that. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that's important for me to say. So I just kind of play on the Babel <laughs> Conference. So that's where I, that's where you, that's where you can find me. All right, Mister Atos, how about well, you? If you don't have access to an Atavicron or even a stolen bird of prey, you can always find me on the Babel Conference on Facebook. I'm the co-host here on the network, both for Standard Orbit and for Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise show. I'm also on Twitter, at Harlander, and I'm a supporter of the network through Patreon. You can also check out my website. It's been called The Grand Unified Theory of Star Trek, and that's at trekopedia.com, and my independent comic books at bandwidthcomics.com, or search on Facebook for Bandwidth Comics. You know, we had a really, like, a lot of great feedback from the Trekopedia show. Has that driven up any of your Um, numbers, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, um... I haven't really looked at him uh, in depth recently, but I, I have noticed an uptick. Yeah, there were a lot of really great compliments. I think that, again, when you do something that's just a work of just pure passion and uh, something that you love, it's definitely recognizable and it shows. So thanks, everyone, for supporting Jeff and listening to that show on the Trekpedia.com. And it was great because, again, there's a wealth of information that's right at your fingertips. So use it. Because there's going to be a lot of great Star Trek ahead, some of which might be a little bit confusing for you. And it's a great way to cross-reference all the different different like types of media, like comics and books and, and all the stuff that's coming up for the movies that you may not know about, how everything cross-references. So check that out, please. And finally, if you want to get in touch with me, you can always find me here on the network or on the Babel Conference. And you can find me on Twitter at Starfighter1701. And I'm always proud to say that I am a supporter of the network through the Patreon program as well. So thanks everyone for listening and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.